Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast, where we feature unscripted interviews with graduates of the United States Military Academy Class of 1991. The Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast with your host, Jamie Schleck, starts now. All right, all right, all right. Welcome, everybody, to the Old Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Schleck, and we are... Join this evening. Uh, today is what is the April twenty sixth? I think twenty fifth. Twenty fifth. April twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. We are we're joined tonight by our esteemed classmate Tim Burnham. Uh, Tim, thanks for joining us tonight. Um, how you doing? How's everything? Oh, great. Thanks for having me, Jamie. I'm, I I love that you do this, and these are these have been awesome. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's it's a real it's a real um, kind of passion project, and it's it's been a lot of fun. I've heard so many good things from people that have enjoyed listening to these podcasts, getting to know each other, to, to know our classmates a little bit better, and also just to kind of face into this phase of life that we're in. It's a lot of fun to be able to go Absolutely. through this together. Yeah. It's uh, 20 minutes after nine, so I apologize. Once again, we're a little bit screwed up, but this is not my fault. It's never my fault, no excuse, but this was a little bit of a, a new change the way that Facebook is monitoring or you have to do some permission token or something to be able to go live. Now it used to be a lot easier to do it, but now I have to set the, get the settings the right way. So we're now official. We're now live on Facebook. We have a couple of our classmates that are joining us. Um, and I'm sure that there'll be more and more that roll on, uh, during the course of the, uh, of the evening. If you're hearing us loud and clear, just pepper in some uh, comments into the, um, into the chat feed so we could make sure that that's working and uh, we're happy to take questions or to respond to people chatting live chatting during the uh during the episode so thanks so much <clears throat> so tim give me the lowdown where you live in what's what's the story how are things yeah well i am currently living in nashville tennessee uh my family and i've been here um 10 years uh I have we have two boys Grady and Parker, uh, oldest is 24. He's out of the house, uh, graduated college a couple years ago, and he lives in Miami, Florida. Uh, younger son is 20, Parker. Um, he went through a, a film school, and he's trying to get into that line of work. Uh, it's been a struggle after COVID, during COVID. Um, he's finding some work, but he's also got some other things going. He's a, I'm excited to see what he's going to come up with. Um, I've been working. I started my own business in the middle of COVID. Um, not the best time to do that, but it, it's been certainly been a challenge, but it's been a learning experience too. Um, my wife of 20, almost 28 years, Carla, um, she's a school teacher here in Nashville. Nice. Nice. So, I mean, Nashville, like how are you close to the city of Nashville? Are you living like in a um, suburb? What's like, I think of Nashville, I think of like, you know, like bluegrass and, you know, like, like country music. The, country music, yeah. Are you like near the, the epicenter of all that stuff that's going on? We we actually live within city limits. Um, we're on the south side of Nashville, um, probably about a 10 to 15 minute ride down to Broadway where it, a lot of that happens. Do you have any family down there or anything? Or you guys just picked up and moved because of work that got you down there, right? Well, no, it was actually my younger brother that uh, he he moved down here three years ahead of us. He and his family, uh, we've gotten close to them up in New England, where we're all from originally. We're all from Maine. 
Um, and we, while we were in the army, my wife and I certainly lived around the country, um, but we settled back in Maine after getting out of the army because we had still had family there. Um, but visiting down here in Tennessee during the winter um, definitely showed us that uh, there are other ways to live than shoveling snow for, for months and months. Yeah, long, well, compared long, to Maine. Compared long, to great Maine. winters. Now, don't you have like tornadoes and stuff down there? That happens pretty frequently, right? Here, Tennessee, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, we just had one last year, a real big one. Went right down through downtown, um, a couple of the towns around Nashville. Um, there's been quite a few since we've been living here. It's, uh, every, yeah, every not my favorite thing. Seems to have is downside, right? Like you're living in, you know, like in Maine, you got the snow. If you're living in like Tennessee, you got tornadoes. You're living in San Diego, which is, people think it's the most beautiful place in the world, but you got like fires. What are like, they? Fires? Place. Yeah, I mean, those Santa Ana winds, they come down there and they rip through and they have all kinds of, uh, all kinds of smog and stuff like that. Like, where's right. the place to live where there's not like a downside? I don't know. You just went to Santa Fe. What was there? Santa Fe was awesome. Right. It was. They might be Santa Fe. My wife didn't. Well, Santa Fe is very brown. She tell my wife. I, I was trying to. I was trying to do the hard sell on it. Like, like, wouldn't it be great to like maybe relocate here in a few more years? And she's like, it's very brown. It's very brown and very dry. But it was magnificent. It was magnificent. Yeah, I was out there for a semi-vacation, a little bit of a work trip, did a nice. lot of hiking out there, getting ready. I did some hiking, getting ready to try to get on the Appalachian Trail with Scott Halstead. Oh, yeah. I, actually, I actually just did that this past week. I met him. I met him. Um, I drove down to Harper's Ferry, which is about four and a half hours from my house. Got up at four o'clock in the morning, drove out there and met him on the Appalachian Trail. And we hiked, uh, I guess I caught him for like the last four or five miles. So I hiked four miles in, met him four miles out. So I did a total of about nine miles with him. Nice. He's doing great. He's doing great. He's done, he just he just went over a thousand miles last week. So Seriously? Into the halfway wow. point soon on the Appalachian Trail. Awesome. That's off to Scott, man. That's a, that's yeah, a challenge. Pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool thing to get to do. That's awesome. So, so we'll talk a lot. We'll talk a little bit more about that. We'll kind of weave that yeah. into our conversation tonight. But um, you also have a big event tomorrow, right? Tomorrow is a big day for you. <laughs> we yeah, we kind of just realized that it wasn't yeah. really planned on, but yeah, tomorrow is so there. Tomorrow you celebrate 15 years of sobriety. I do. Huh? That is awesome. That is Next awesome. Week. Yeah, what that's an accomplishment. And I we're gonna talk a little bit about that tonight, but and I appreciate your bravery in discussing that with our classmates and to have these real conversations, because uh, they're so important to have here. So fifteen years of, of sober living and congratulations to you and to everybody that kinda of helped you along the way with that as well. Oh, there's a lot of people that helped. I couldn't not have done it alone. Absolutely. Yeah. So um so, so but let, let's, before we get into that, let's get in more into the here and now. So you have your own business. Tell me about the business that, that you're involved in and how that, how that came about. Well, I actually found myself out of work uh, right as the pandemic was starting. Um, the, the group that I worked with, uh, it wasn't really pandemic related that they let us go, but uh, it was a company that they realized we were more risk than they were uh, 
expected than, than they expected. So they they kind of let a group of us go all at once. Um, so you were working in the automotive industry, you said, right? Is it mm-hmm. construction resource for the automotive industry? So automo- like big plants, they want to like mm-hmm. expand a big area or do something. You they want to put in a, management for their yeah, work, right? Right. They want to put in a new line or, or they're making a new model and they need to change all the tools around. That's, that's the kind of work we did. And uh, it, it, there's a fair amount of money involved and definitely time and risk. Um, you know, if you, if you delay a project a couple of days, that, that's a lot of money in the, in the car business when they're not making cars. But anyway, they, they let us go. And I, I, about a year ago, I was trying to figure out where I, what I wanted to do. Um, I did not really consider running my own business, but uh, I found a guy that helps veterans um, find franchises. And we kind of brainstormed a lot about what was important to me. And um, he helped me find this one uh, franchise that uh, helps small to medium businesses find savings hidden in their expenses. Um, Another way to say that is we work with them and their suppliers to get best pricing without sacrificing quality or service. And what I really liked is the way we do, uh, we use like a success-based model, meaning we only have fees if we find savings for them. If we don't find savings, then there's no fee for our service. So that's really like a validation that they're getting best pricing. And that that model just really, um, it sold me. And I just uh, thought it'd be a great way to help small and medium businesses. So that's what- uh, Every- and for someone like you, we're going to walk back to some other highlights of your career, but you worked in a community bank. So you had a lot of probably professional clients at the, and in that role, you worked in construction management, you got the engineering mindset. So the ability to apply all those skill sets and be able to deliver value to small and mid-sized businesses is it's a natural uh, for you, I think, in terms of the way that you would think about that. Well, thanks, Jamie. I'm glad you see that. that yeah, that, that's kind of how it all lined up. Exactly. So I'm fascinated about this about this person that helps you line up with a franchise. You said that's their that's their business is aligning veterans to franchise franchise opportunities. So how does that work? Like, like how did you connect with that person? How did you decide on this franchise? Like, how did that whole process go about? Uh, actually, I found him through a, a veterans um, job lead sourcing. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Um, he was connected to them. You know, I was just gonna, I, I was going through them to, to network and they, they do some virtual, virtual job fair kind of things. And um, we just ran into each other through networking there. And uh, he doesn't just help veterans, but he, since he's a veteran, he, he, he seeks veterans out to, to try to do business with them. Um, so so that's, like he connects people to franchisees. So like, could it also have been like a, you know, like a Chick-fil-A or a, some other franchisee or like, or is it like just these specific types? Or... I, I'm not sure if he represented um, Chick-fil-A. I didn't ask about that one. Right. Um, we we kind of narrowed my our search down based on, you know, what I was looking to do and how much I was looking to spend, obviously. Do you uh, pay you know, him a fee or does he get a binder's fee for connecting you to that? He he probably got a finder's fee from my franchise whore. Okay. Yeah. So, so I didn't pay him directly. You purchased this opportunity, right? You you put some money down or some kind of sweat equity or something. Exactly. Yes. And then they give you access to 
all these different professionals that are experts in like whatever insurance or telephonic um, telephony or IT or whatever. So you have like access to this whole host of like subject matter experts that a small business may need to engage with, but they're not always getting the best value for what they're paying for. They may not even know what they need and you're helping to sort of like help them navigate the complexity of trying to get all these different services, right? That's the way it works. Exactly. Yep. We, typically we work around, around the outside um, indirect cost, um, costs that every business has, but they just may not be able to find the best deal um, either because of economies of scale, because of the size of their business. And, and we can help with that because we're doing these, these uh, agreements all over the country. Well, having yeah. run a small, having run a small business, um, I can definitely see the value in that. I mean, I, I remember I just, I got hammered on these different, you know, small vendors like or these small. Uh, well, they weren't that small, but they were, you know, like these subject like cost areas, and one of which was energy, mm-hmm. right? So when energy got deregulated, and you could buy like you could bundle like gas contracts and stuff, I got smoked. <laughs> I got crushed. Seriously? I, I locked into a long-term contract like the night before Hurricane Katrina happened or like oh. the, whatever. I, I was, I was stuck paying like these enormously exorbitant energy costs for like two years because of Hurricane Katrina. Basically. Oh man. Yeah. Wow. Fun. That doesn't sound it. No. But, but that's the stuff that you guys do. You like, you like, you like, I, you know, beat these entrepreneurs up and say, knucklehead, like, listen, you, you, there's a different way to do this. You know, you don't need to be spending all this money on this stupid thing. You can have this other way to do it. Right. Exactly. I think one of our, one of our key offerings is that we do all the work, you know, behind the scenes. Um, mm-hmm. Not really, you know, we don't do it underneath your nose. We do it off site, and um, we'll have a couple meetings over, over two or two or three months to get it set up. And then the project's underway. So where are the biggest areas where people save money, do you think? Like where are the places where small, small mid-sized businesses overpay the most? Um, on a percentage basis, one of the ones that I've heard is, is one of the highest is uh, if they rent uniforms and linens. Mm. Uh, that also includes usually a, you know, welcome mats. Uh, that's all, all the same business that, that may do that. And uh one of our specialists that does that, he typically finds um, 30 to 40%. Another one is uh, merchant card fees. Um, you know, or Visa, American Express, those those fees, right. that, uh, that's another big area that they can find a lot of savings in. Mm-hmm. So like a, a retailer that's going to give away like fee like a card that say like $25 gifts uh gift for my business is that what you're talking about uh, not necessarily that um purchases that like online purchases either okay. uh from consumers or, or business to business uh-huh. um and the um the processing fees that get charged usually behind the scenes from the from a bank that, that processes mm-hmm. those transactions there's a lot of okay. hidden hidden fees in there that actually having been a, a banker previously that we didn't even understand. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just 
it's the, there's lots of people that don't understand those. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm sure like you know there's so like and that's the thing like you like as you know you came as you said you came from the automotive industry where all of these purchasing disciplines are just wired down to like like fractions of a penny they're so they're so good at purchasing whereas a small business they don't have the bandwidth to be able to be getting the best deal all the time so your business basically helps people operate like a big automotive industry but just exactly. without having to have the the yeah. people on board right yeah and it's mostly yeah they don't have the time or the people and uh, I, I think our best clients are ones that do have a decent handle on most of their costs, but they just don't have the time to, to squeeze the lemons anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the, the, I would imagine that the sales cycle is not quick in your business. I mean, you're looking at probably 18 to 24 months of, uh, of conversations and shaking hands and before you can actually begin to have this thing uh, start turning out money for you. Exactly. That's what I'm learning, Jamie. That, that was the part I didn't, really uh, fully understand getting in, I think, is the, mm -hmm. the the time it takes to build trust. Yeah, I can say for the small business guys, they've probably been screwed enough times that they're they're just hyper, their heads are on swivels all the time, like who's trying to reach into my pocket, like and right. take money from me. Yeah. Right. I kind of, I, I don't know if our, our approach may seem like a gimmick to some folks. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Sometimes it sounds like it's too good to be true that, uh, you know, they really not having to reach into your pocket because it's money you're already spending. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get it. I get it. And it's challenging too, because you feel like, well, you know, what if my business is growing or it's shrinking my, my base utilization of that particular service or offering maybe changing just by virtue of my success or failure in business. And so how do I basically, uh, how do we appropriately size your compensation for that? So I can see that also being a challenge, but I know you guys have ways of working through that too, right? We do. Yeah. Well, it, it's based on actual savings over, over a certain period mm -hmm. compared to the pricing that you used to be paying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. And I can see why, I can see why it's, a, it's great to be a franchise type business because you can own the territory. You can get to, you know, really navigate through the chambers of commerce and, you know, network in the area. And then you can say, okay, well, this is my space. So you have like Nashville proper. Is that your territory that you have? Uh, actually my license is for all of Tennessee and Kentucky. Oh, wow. Holy cow. That's a big space. Uh, cool. Well, right now there's three of us in that area. Uh, mm -hmm. two, are, two are up in the Louisville area, and I'm the only one in Tennessee right now. So, yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I mean, um, I, that, just as a separate aside, I mean, you, I help, you helped me connect to some insurance opportunities or to, you know, save some money with insurance, and I was very impressed by the gentleman you put us in touch with. So you definitely have access to some really deep resources out there in in all these different you know areas and so um well thanks for saying that David. yeah i think it also helps that each individual in our business is their own business owner so each of us has a vested interest in in the success of that project um you know we're not just assigned to a project 
because we're part of some corporate organization. And, you know, we, we all have a vested interest, like I said, in, in the success of that. So look, let's switch back to family. So it's your wife and your two boys and you get the one son He's in Miami, you said, right? He is in Miami. He have you about been able to move. To, now with COVID and everything else, have you been able to spend time with your family? What's been the, like, what's your last year been like with having the, all the complexity with COVID? Well, uh, for a lot of the time, my wife has been working from home. Uh, they did vir- a lot of virtual school here. And my youngest son, he was still in uh, film school for a good part of COVID. So he was, and all that was virtual too. So we've uh, all been working from home, which has been kind of fun actually, that we've all been together for this. Um, We have had, I don't know if I can say this, but we've taken some trips to Florida throughout COVID uh, to see my son in Miami and my wife's sisters in Naples. So we've kind of hit hit both of those spots a few times during COVID. Nice. So you've seen your son a few times then? Yeah. Yep. He's uh, engaged to be married here in a couple months. Really? Yeah. And we're trying to help with that planning too. Nice. How's that? How's that going? And a few, I mean, a number of our classmates have kids that are married, they even have grandparents or the grandchildren too. So, uh, this is a whole new, whole new, whole new area for us. You know, um, how's that going? I, how's how's the uh, how's the wedding planning going? I'm very fortunate. God bless me with sons. Really? Yes. I but can. There's, I, still, there's still the, the complexity of dealing with you know the planning for the wedding and stuff, right? Yes, there is. There is. Um, I'm trying to offer advice when I, when I'm asked. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a neat dynamic too, I think, right? Because you don't have, like, these are going to be like daughters that are coming into your family, right? Like, you know, your, your one son is getting married and, you know, maybe you're maybe in the future, your, your other son too. So how's that dynamic like going on? It's, it's been great. No, the, the, they've both have a great young woman that they're serious with and, uh, it's a great addition to the family. What's, what's your wife's first name? Carla. Carla. But Carla's mm-hmm. been like the queen bee. She's the queen bee for all these years, right? She's got the boys and she's got you and she's queen bee. And now she's like bringing in another woman into the, into the Burnham family. She's no longer going to be the youngest Mrs. Burnham, right? Like, is, how's that going? Like, like what's, that, what's that dynamic like? Wow. These questions weren't on your No, that's that's a great question. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's been a learning experience. We 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 love our kids and their their girlfriends. Um, every day is an adventure mm-hmm. for something new. And we hope to have, you know, make them all part of this adventure. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating with your kids having relationships. I mean, my, I have, I have four kids, 22, 20, 18, 16. So I've been through this a couple of times and, um, you know, relationships and breakups and relationships. And then the awkwardness of like having had, you know, friendships with their parents. And so there's all that kind of stuff going on. And 
like I, I, I have not had anybody get married yet. I welcome that point in the future when something like that happens, it's going to be wonderful. I just, you know, I think it's, um, it's one of these kind of life events, right. That we're all going through. Like we're all probably, you know, plus or minus a couple of years away from situations like this. It's a, it's a fascinating dynamic. You know, I remember the relationship with my in-laws, how it developed over time and mm-hmm. what to call them like dad or Mr. Dabrinsky or whatever, rich, like, like this kind of this awkwardness that's happening, you know? So. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, with our youngest son, considering moving out soon, you know, we're about to be empty nesters. That's uh, it's a whole new season. And um, it's, it's, it's definitely change. So he's still living with you now, right now, your younger son, right? Yep, he is. But he's going to be moving out. So then it's going to be just the two of you? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So this is another dynamic we're all seeing too. I mean, like. I mean, even though the, even though your kids move out, you know, you're still, they're still part of the family and, and their decisions you still give advice on and help and their decisions definitely have larger consequences now and it's uh there's no manual for this you know no there's not there definitely is not so we had a little situation last night my own Miller Schleck household nobody's going to listen to this of any consequence but we had uh I guess my my 18 year old son had his little girlfriend over last night and uh they fell asleep they fell asleep on the couch downstairs and it was three o'clock in the morning and uh my wife got up and and uh was like what the hell's going on here why is she still here the whole like this whole dynamic you know um so anyway my son took her home and uh so you know those things happen uh, was it received on the other end with her we parents? don't know we're oh. not sure we're not Uh-oh. sure how that all went down nobody's you know? talking so, yet Nobody's talking yet. Uh-oh. Yeah. So good thing we're on like a class page here. I got sufficient OPSEC going. I, I don't need anybody else like hearing that. So Right. Right. But it is it is interesting, you know. Like 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 you, you can't help but sort of like go back to your own eighteen year old self, your own like twenty year old self and be like, you know, what are you thinking? Be like, mom, dad, just you know, get out of my life kind of thing, you know lighten up so right um what's she gonna call you she can call you tim she can call you dad uh that's good we haven't crossed that uh i think you i mean she calls me tim now but yeah i think you gotta lean in on that i think because she's yeah. probably in this awkward mode you gotta be like listen you're gonna call me dad or call me whatever like she can't call you tim can she you know, I, what's going to happen is she, they're going to have kids, and whatever the kids call you is what she's going to call you. That's what's going to come down to. Right, right. Yep, you got it. Yeah. Those are fun times, man, fun times. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So you got an older brother and a younger brother, just three boys in your family? There are three of us, yes. There's about four years between us. Wow. There's a lot of, like, testosterone in that Burnham in the Burnham gene pool, huh? Because three boys and then you had two boys? Yeah. That's right. Oh, oh. And so um, 
So your younger brother, he lives close. He lives close to you, said right. He's yeah. he's in the national area. He is. And how about your older brother? Older brother is in Massachusetts, Worcester okay. area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you, are your folks folks still with us? Still there in in Maine, same house, Bath, Maine, where we all grew up. Yep. Nice, nice, awesome. It's a big big Navy town. Yeah. So you grew up like seeing military people all the time, then I guess, huh? That's a fair amount. They were all Navy. Mm-hmm. There's a big uh, shipbuilding there, and there's a Naval Air Station next town over. So because of that, I got to say, Navy was my first choice. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get in, so I had to go with So second. you applied to Naval Academy and didn't get in, so you decided to go to West Point? Uh-huh. Huh. SAT scores were just that much of a difference. That's interesting. Because you know, there's several people that I've talked to that are Navy people that West Point went. There's West Point was my first choice, but I didn't get in. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't think that it's um I think that I mean honestly I think they're both pretty equivalently competitive. What may make it different is who's going from what state. Absolutely, sure. Yep. So if you're like in a district with a big navy presence like you were, pretty tough to get in a naval academy. Yeah, that's true. But I, the reason I'd, I'd been told was because SAT scores. But it could have been other factors like that, sure. Did you get in early admission to uh, to West Point or did you decide? No, I didn't go early. I Regular. So this is a good segue to our, to our pre-1987 timeframe, which is like talking about how you decided to go to West Point, the whole process and all that. But before we go there, let's just take one one step back and talk about the old grad podcast and what we're doing here. Right. So the purpose of this podcast is really to reconnect us to what's happening at West Point. It's to foster continuing relationships among our classmates. It is to call attention to our class gift, which is something I haven't talked about along uh, very much given COVID and everything else, but we need to begin really stepping up our our emphasis on our class gift and participation goal, which is 91% to get there. And finally, the purpose of this podcast is to highlight the accomplishments of our classmates, but also to lift us up where we need it. And on, on, on that note, let me just say that a um, couple of things. First of all, there's so many retirements that are happening right now. I know I'm going to miss a couple of them, but several people have retired since the last old grad podcast, one of which being Scott Halstead. He, 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 uh, he retired. Um, just this past week, uh, Anthony Wiesner also retired. Blaze Albert retired. There's a number of other retirements that are happening over the next couple of months um, as people kind of ride this out all the way to 30 years. And so we want to be there for them. Um, also on this, uh, also in terms of uh, celebrating accomplishments, Chuck LaPellis ran another 50-kilometer race this week, the uh, Heiner 50K in, in Pennsylvania, which is crazy. And then, and then also on a sad note, in terms of lifting each other up, um, Nicole Pasteur, the wife of our classmate, EJ Pasteur, she passed away this week after a long battle with cancer. And so EJ, we have you and your family in our thoughts and prayers. We're so sorry for your loss and uh, we hope that we can be there for you and lift you up. So that is the purpose of this podcast. And Tim, you said you listened to a couple of podcasts recently, right? So like you hadn't listened to very many, but have you, 
but you began listening to a few of them recently? I think the first one I listened to was uh, my class or company mate, John Gerald. He was uh, right around uh, Anthony DeToto's passing mm. last November. So then I've listened to them since then. You listen to them on Facebook? You listen to them on the um, on a podcast platform? On Facebook. Only on Facebook. Well, that's a way to listen to it. You can listen to it live. We've got a number of our classmates listening live. It's a great way to listen. You can also pepper in comments into the into the chat feed. But I also would recommend listening to it on either Apple iTunes or and anywhere you get pod podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Podbean, uh, Google Podcasts. It's a great way to listen because you can listen actually on fast forward. If you want to jump around, you can move around to different spaces. You kind of know the the arc of the podcast, which is generally to talk about the here and now first. Go to pre West Point talk about West Point, the army, bring it back to the present day. So you kind of know where we're going with the, um, with the arc of the podcast. And so that's a good way to listen to, I got a chance to listen. I listened to a couple previous podcasts when I was driving down this past week to meet with, um, with uh, Scott Halstead. So I had like a four and a half hour drive. So I listened to Kenny Mintz again. I listened to Scott Halstead, Mark Beeger, Beach nice. Pace, a few other people. Yeah. And it's fun to listen to the podcast and just, I think about there are stories that I forgot that we even talked about on the, on the podcast. I listened to also uh, Tracy, um, Tracy Fisher's podcast again, because you and I just did this wellness thing with her. Right. So eight weeks, awesome. eight weeks of meeting once a week as, as a, as a cohort of classmates. Right. That was great. Yeah. I'm down 20 pounds. Yeah, I'm not down 20 pounds, but I am. I'm at my lightest point though in 2021 this morning after I did hot yoga with my wife. This morning we did hot yoga. I was sweating my ass off, and I got on the scale. It's the lowest I've been in 2021. So making nice. progress. Yeah, I found I found that Tracy's. Well, first of all, I'm a knucklehead, so I need to listen to things three or four times before it sinks in. But you're smarter than me, so you actually it 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 grabs a hold of you. You're able to really capitalize on it right well i mean i think some of the things i've i've already been through in life um if i had had tracy's class at that time it, it would have been easier i think to transition through some of the things i've been through um but i you know i, I had some counseling but the the way tracy put this 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 formula together to to show how change can happen if you want to um, it's just, it was mind blowing for me how simple she made it and how, well, what she, what she says too, is that she has nothing is new that she's created. She right. just organized what's out there. Like all of the, all of the critical, like, I don't know, the learnings or the published publications, all, all of the theories are out there. She's just organizing in a way that makes sense in terms of moving your life towards change for better well-being well-beingness is well-beingness well -beingness is the um is the she's kind of registered trademark that well-beingness as her right. as her platform and it's it's about mind it's about body it's about really what i think the number one thing is if i could say is it's about observing your own emotions and thoughts exactly the key to change is, is being conscious, yeah. Being conscious, being conscious of those things, like knowing like where your mind is and, and, and kind of like creating this 
process by which you intercept bad behavior because of your thoughts. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. You got so it. Easy, so easily said. Yeah. So easily said as I grab a, as I grab like a cookie or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I, one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to, I wanted to spend some more time like working out, but also specifically like hiking and stuff. And so I got a chance to, down and hike with I hiked with my wife in Santa Fe we hiked a bunch which was awesome I've been hiking locally and then all prepared for hiking with Scott Halstead so I met Scott this week as I mentioned we did about nine miles together which was wonderful but one of the best things was that one of his his father is a grad his father graduated class of 68 and his father's got some health complications so but one of his father's classmates met us on the Appalachian Trail for like the last mile. So this guy is like 68. I think that makes him like about 70, 74 years old or 75. Do the math. You're an engineer, right? Somewhere in there, yeah. My mom, the way I think, my my mother's 77 and she graduated in 66. So this guy graduated in 68. So make him like 75, I guess. Anyway, the dude was in great shape, right? He's a retired infantryman. He walked up a mile up this really steep hill and walked it back down with us. I was very impressed by, by this guy, you know, 75 years old, just, just, you know, cranking out miles on the Appalachian trail. But then Scott, Scott went in, he got resupplied in some outpost. He's Scott's walking with one of his buddies, this guy, Jeremy, who was um, also career army infantryman and uh, just retired as well. So they were going in to get re, re to get refit at some sort of like sports store or something, and and this gentleman and I were standing outside just bullshitting, what, waiting for them to get all their stuff that they needed to get. And it was great. It was like talking to an old grad. He's class of '68, and he said, "Oh, you guys are coming up on your 30-year reunion." I said, "Yeah, it's coming up." And he said, "That's when I remember everybody exhaling a little bit. Everybody's chest like they." they stop sort of like putting their chest out. Like this is the time when you can really have like real relationships with people. And uh, it was just reassuring to hear. And so this guy's story was he retired. I think he retired as Lieutenant Colonel at like 25 or 28 years, something like that. And what he decided to do was he went and he bought a cattle farm and he was a cattle farmer for 15 more years. He just raised cattle in the middle of Virginia and, uh, he said, you know, it was just a, it was something to keep him busy. He didn't make a lot of money, but he didn't lose a lot of money. He just was a cattle farmer. And um, he said, like, I remember at my 30th reunion, you know, you had, like, you had generals, you had captains of industry, and you had a cattle farmer. And we were all the same. Like, like all that kind right. of, like, one-up, not one-upmanship, but there's a little bit of, like, this, you know, just kind of work into climb the whatever ladders there are absolutely it goes away at 30 and he said it gets better and better after that that's cool yeah wow that's good something that gives you something to look forward to yeah yeah so take me back to 1987 you are denied by the naval academy thankfully because you decided to go to the army and uh and so what 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 was going on back then? You, you you said you had one older brother that was in college already, right? Older, and you were yes. Trying, and you were he, trying to figure out like where you were going to go. He was a year ahead of me in high school. Um, 
my dad was a, was a school teacher, phys ed teacher, actually. And, uh, yeah, I could see my parents struggling, trying to pay for one kid in college. So that kind of helped me make my decision. I had a couple high school um, alumni that had been to West Point. Uh, one was class 85 and 87 was the other one. So I'd seen them do that. I knew them, um, knew their families. Uh, also my grandfather, he was a World War II vet, an engineer. Uh, he um, served in Alaska actually during World War II, but he was also a civil engineer. And I, you know, he was one of my inspirations to go there. Um, yeah kind of helped me make that decision. And the economics were also pretty, pretty helpful too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Grandparents. My, I, I got to quickly tell you about my grandparents. Um, I had, uh, I had the best great grandparents in the world. Um, talk about different. I had this grandfather. Um, they lived in North Jersey, Bergen County. Um, he worked around the city a lot in projects around uh, bridges and tunnels is what his specialty was. So we had those grandparents. And then my other grandparents uh, were on a dairy farm in Maine. Um, a little bit of difference there. Um, that grandfather, he, he never, I don't think he ever took a vacation. Maybe once I saw him take a vacation in 40 years. Um, he also got into that business because of World War II. Um, the, the state of Maine government, you know, was asking people to, to do dairy farming. So he had, hadn't had a dairy farm until World War II started. He, he decided to start a dairy farm. But just a, a total different, different look on life from one grandparent to the other. That, the grandmother in, in Maine, she, uh, she taught all us boys how to fish while my grandfather was doing all the, the farm stuff. She would take us fishing or she, she was just an amazing woman. Uh, she lived to be 97. And the other grandmother, uh, that, that's who we're visiting next month. Um, she, she was 98. She just passed away last month. Um, but that's in Bayonne, New Jersey, for that funeral next month. Anyway, sorry. You're coming out here Side in New Jersey. We'll get, we'll get a chance to, to get together. It'll be a quick trip if, if you can do it, yeah. That'd be great. So, those, so basically what I'm hearing is say these two grandparents, you know, one was very kind of rural, like kind of laid back, and one was just hard charging, kind of New York based, you know, um, they both lived long, great lives, it sounds like, right? My, my grandmothers did, for sure, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, actually, the grandfather, that was my inspiration, he he passed away our plea year, 1988. Really? So, yeah. So, you know, that was one of my reasons for going to West Point, but, you know, what kept me at West Point was you know, all the guys need to, all those, that's, that's why I stay, you know, every time how, you, go ahead. How proud, I was just thinking how proud he must've been your grandfather oh, yeah. uh, to, to know you were there. Yeah. He got to visit a couple of times and he, he loved being there. Really? Oh yeah. Did you, did you go home for um, like emergency leave or whatever when he died, when you're, when you're a plebe? We went to the funeral right there in, in Bergen County, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah got a day or two to go to that. Right. That sucks, man. When you're losing somebody, when you're plead, I mean, plead your sucks bad enough, but to have to go through that right. at that time, you know, as well, not, not easy. Yeah, that was.
So you're talking about some of your roommates and some of the people that kept you going. So who are some of the who are some of the celebrities from E2 that uh, that got you through? Oh man, I'm gonna forget somebody, but no, they're all um, John Gerald. He I roomed with him several times, and he actually took me to his home in uh, Ohio for one trip. I uh, got to meet a lot of his friends and family. Um, Mike Burke lived in Kearney, New Jersey, um, so his family put a lot of us up several times actually the, the first trip we got to take was what uh like labor day weekend plebe year i think that was one of the first times we got to get off post and his family took in i don't know how many of us for me too a whole bunch of us and we probably get in too much trouble i know i drank too much that weekend <laughs> first chance we got um uh john hurst he was my beast roommate and roommate several times after that and he taught me how to how to play drums in the air band that I was in. Um, He's on the podcast, by the way. He just commented in the comment feed said, "Best roommates ever." Both the, both denied by USNA. I guess there's another one that was denied by. He USNA. was too. I don't know. Maybe, I, John, maybe, he, maybe another roommate. I don't know if he was. Uh, no, he John. He lives down here in Tennessee. We got to hook up more. <laughs> Yeah. E, e, e two. We just had a, a Zoom call the other night, Thursday night. One of our first. We tried to get together, and it was well. It was good. It was good to connect. We got to do more of those. Um, Brett Petkus, uh, Brian Fitzgerald, uh, CJ Meldrum, Rob Meldrum, both in E two. Um, now that's an interesting dynamic. So they're married, but they're from the same company, right? I'm sharing with you the, your your class in case you. Oh, there you go. Yeah, CJ and Rob. Yep. I didn't realize that they're from the same company. They are. Yeah. We were we were talking. We, the F1 crew went to um, went to uh, Dominican Republic together. We were talking about dating within the company, and each other was like, it was like she was she's trying to make the she's trying to make the. Um, the point that like it just would feel too close like you know like it almost feels like a sibling situation you know if you're dating your your classmate and she was like yeah like like dating jamie like ooh, like I, I couldn't do that like what she meant to say was like you know he's like my brother or something but it came off like like oh my god like he's so uh repulsive there's no way i would potentially do that like oh thanks steph thank you so no. you're, you're general, general officer, right? General uh, Mike uh, Eastman, Mike right? Mike Freeman. Uh, Mike Eastman, yeah. Yep. He and I were roommates. Oh, that's awesome. 50's an E2. I thought 50 was an H2. He was originally. He got moved to E2. He and Gary Calise and actually Nicolette all got moved into E2 because we lost so many from our original class. Is that what happened? Mm -hmm. Our numbers got so low that we had to... Uh, had to go outside to recruit. John Stark, he's somebody that he's a smart dude, right? That guy's a star he's man. A star man, yeah. Is he yeah. still is he still in? No. I think he might have just gotten out. I, I know he's serving somewhere in Germany. I think it's for the State Department now. Mm -hmm. Um Dave Wills is just about to retire. Scott Gerber just retired Friday. He had his ceremony. Um, there's a couple names on here that I don't know if it's a mix-up or something. Dave Jernigan, I think he was F2. Um, Orlando, maybe, maybe Orlando Madrid, too. 
Maybe my system's not perfect. No, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I think it might be the AOG because they they came out on a, an email list the other day that I saw. I'm pretty sure they're both in F2. AOG, you know, their system's not so great. You know, Brian sure. Sharp one time when you're sending back, <laughs> sending back like one of those postcards. You know, he corrected and said honorable Brian Sharp. Right? <laughs> so just yeah. bullshit, like just the honorable Brian Sharp. So now whenever he signs up to go back to West Point, he's got like his own escort and stuff like that, just because he wrote Honorable Brian Sharp on some postcard going back. They're wow. like, you know, nice. rolling out the red carpet for him. So uh -huh. AOG system is not exactly uh, foolproof. So anyway. Yeah, that's cool. I got to give a shout out to John Gerald. Um, I, I got to get a, go to his uh, retirement ceremony. That was just awesome. You know that seeing seeing the number of uh, little pips on his sleeve, um, it just that's I don't know. It was just well, amazing to see. Twelve six yeah overseas service uh, stripes. Yeah. Twelve of them. Mm -hmm. Twelve of them. I mean that's six years. He said like he jokingly said he should have to pay taxes in Iraq or Afghanistan. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway. Love awesome. awesome people. So, so who was your roommate for plebe year? Who was your roommate for beast? Like, what was the memorable things? For, I know you guys got a hundred hours. You got busted for going to some white snake concert or something, right? Or like, what, what, what? I think the name of the band was great white, great yeah. white, great white. Yeah. Great white. white. And different band. A few years later, they burned down some place up in Rhode Island. I think that was the same. Oh, band. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Beast roommate, John Hurst. And we actually had a, an empty bunk in our room. There was supposed to be a new Cadet Jones that was going to be in our room, but uh, never showed up on our day. Don't know what happened there. Uh, um, plebe roommates, uh, Mike Eastman, Vern Tryon. Who else? I know John Hurst was in there and Mike Burke. Um, yeah, but that was cow year. We, uh, a bunch of us from E2, we took that little trip up to the, to the concert. I think it was like a weeknight too. Maybe it was a Friday night anyway. We, we, who do we run into but a bunch of the firsties from our company right there. And, you know, they couldn't just say they didn't see us. So that's how that happened. Um, what else happened there? Again, we, uh, two, Mike Burke and I, so our last name both start with the same first two letters, Burke and Burnham. And we had this uh, air band. It was joined between E2 and D2. Um, so there's two guys from D2, Mark Shatton and Tom Sheehan. So the first two letters of their last name start with SH. So we, we joined that all together and our air band became na uh, named Bush, B-U-S-H. And we normally played Bush music. I don't know if, if anybody remembers, but we did that in Central Area, usually on nights, Thursday, Friday nights after taps. Um, we'd have a, an air band show out in the middle of Central Area until the OC came along and then we uh, we beat feet. But that was just some something fun for you too. So innocent, you know, and that stuff. Like, it's so like, here you are doing air band because the OC's coming. Like, it's just, you know, it's such an innocent, existence at West well we, Point, we had know? been to the first e club before that okay 
So, so you're pretty loaded up then, I guess, huh? Yeah, probably that had some effect on that. Yes. <laughs> well, and so then, uh, so then you graduate engineer officer, OBC, Germany. Um, tell me about some of the highlights from that. Uh, Germany, a little tiny post called Dielflicken. It's actually a training area, um, but it was a very small post. There's only a couple battalions there. So I think the highest ranking officer was a, a 06 um, intimate kind of unit. And not far from there was a, a, a monastery on the top of a hill um, called the Kreuzberg. And supposedly it's the best beer in the world. Some places have rated. You've been there? Yeah, the Kreuzberg? No, I've been. I've had that beer. I, yes, I was there, and I had that beer. Yeah. They have a beer that's like a like a smoky beer, right? Well, they make a special one for Christmas. I don't remember what they call it, but they have all kinds of different ones. Yeah, it's pretty mm -hmm. dark, and it doesn't take many of them to have an impact on you. But. I think I I had that when I was on CTLT. My company commander well, made me drink that stuff. Yeah, he's made you. Well, you make me. I, mean, I did it. I did it voluntarily, but. <laughs> He's like, you have to have this stuff while you're here. Like, you have to, you have to taste this stuff. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one other highlight from Veal Flicken, uh, Mike Burke, roommate for years at school, he ended up getting stationed there too. So it was kind of like we were still at West Point because even though he was married, I, I roomed with him. He and his wife a lot of during our stay there. And that, 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 uh, that whole uh, base got shut down. So my tour got cut short um, by a year. So that wasn't much fun getting deactivated over there. Uh, one, one other highlight, I guess, an impact of a lot of, it had a lasting impact. Um, while I was there, I got to, I was asked as a platoon leader to, to give a QTB. It's one thing that sticks out to me. Um, QTBs normally by company commanders, but this one time they asked for one platoon leader. Actually, the brigade commander wanted to hear from one platoon leader. And maybe it's just because he, he knew he couldn't chew out his company commanders in front of everybody, but I get this chance to do this. And um, anyway, the brigade commander went up, up one side and down the other on me for just because, I don't know, he wanted to do it to somebody and I was the one up front, but that just had a lasting impact. I probably took it too personally. Um, it was there in front of, you know, all my company commander and battalion commander and the whole battalion staff. And um, he just made an example of me in front of all of them. And it uh, probably affected me longer than it should have. I, I don't think I let go of that one for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so then you, uh, you came back to stateside, did advanced course. And then I actually, they wouldn't let me go to the advanced course immediately. I had to do another assignment at Fort Knox. So oh, right, right. It was like starting over there as a. So your unit deactivated in Germany and you came back to Fort Knox, spent some extra time, then went to the advanced course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was happening to a lot of engineer people. That would have been my trajectory as well if I stuck right. around. If you'd stayed, yeah. Like, yeah. Because all these units were getting deactivated, so they're extending people there. Then you're going to advanced course late. Then by the time you get to a unit, you're like, you're like the last person in the in the queue to get a company command, right? Right. Yeah. When I was at Fort Hood, you said right. At Fort Hood, yeah. By the time I 
when I showed up there, yeah, all the commands, company commands were taken in the unit I got assigned to. So it would have been like another two years before, before I got company command. So I was getting all the, the fun assignments, getting sent to Korea for a couple of trips. And, um, you know, I, there are excuses now looking back on it, but at the time they, they seemed like big events. Um, also during that time, we, uh, our first son was born. So we we're trying to raise a family and, um, my wife's dad passed away very unexpectedly. He was actually 57. Um, my dad was going through cancer treatment, and just lots of things all piled up. And that's when we decided to get out. And so then where was the first, first job out of uh, the army? Outside of the army, I got actually got into. Oh, hold on, we can back up a second. Along the way, you got married and had a kid, right? So you were like one kid in tow and a wife, and you're getting out of the army at that point, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I didn't tell you about my wife, really. We talked about her name, but it, we, we grew up in the same town. Um, we met on the same swim team. Uh, she, was, she was eight, and I was 10, I think, the first time we met. But we didn't really date in high school. We didn't date until the uh, uh, Army played at Syracuse. That's where she went to school. I think it was our cow year the first time we played them. But uh, yeah, we got married in 93. So did she come to like uh, Ring Weekend and the 100th night and all that stuff? She was your date for that stuff? She was, yeah. That's cool. Yep. But again, we were not 2% club because we didn't really date in high school. Mm-hmm. But I think there's something special to be said about marriages that were together back then, end of West Point, you know, junior officer, OBC, first assignments, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, um, I met my wife after all that stuff, which is great. I mean, I wouldn't, I would, I would have liked to have her along the way for those things too. That would have been kind of cool. You didn't um, see the army at all? She didn't. She, the only time she saw the army was when I got mobilized after 9-11. Oh, really? So after 9-11, you know, we have two kids and one on the way and I got mobilized as back in the army. That's her experience of being an army wife was just as a reservist person, somebody being activated, which is a whole different deal. It wasn't like you're on post or anything. It's a different situation. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So my first job after the army um, was in construction management back in Maine. Um, kind of got connected through uh, family connection. And again, because I, I kind of got out of the army with a bad taste for that experience, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't lean into the West Point network and a lot of those organizations that help, uh, officers transition out. I just, I just tried to do it on my own. Well, I, I think also like woven throughout this story is this theme. There's, there's kind of a a darker chapter too, right? Was you were struggling with some of your own demons, you said, right? And, oh, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I fell in love with alcohol before West Point. I mean, in, in high school, uh, growing up, you know, I, I learned, I don't want to blame it on anybody, but it's kind of learned behavior in my family that, you know, to have a good time, it, it takes a, a good amount of alcohol. Um, and I think I carried that with me. Um, Again, a lot of the weekend getaways we did at West Point, I always wanted to make sure that part was involved, you know, make sure we had enough alcohol to last however long we were going to do. I love getting together with the guys and, and gals, but 
that was always important to me. Um, it was first the year that I um, actually got in trouble for it. Um, there, was a, there was a football Saturday. Uh, one of our company mates, I remember, had a keg down at uh, Buffalo Soldiers, a tailgate. Um, and I, I didn't, honestly, I didn't get a lot of sleep being a, an engineering major and a procrastinator. I tended to put off sleep as long as I could. But so on weekends, it seemed like uh, if I hadn't gotten much sleep and, and mixed a lot of alcohol in there, that it usually wasn't a good combination. But I, at some point after the tailgate, I can't remember getting there, but I remember somehow I got to Poughkeepsie. We went to some nightclub there. And I honestly don't remember getting back, but at some point during the night, um, I had blacked out and passed out somewhere on the plane near Washington statue. And the story was that a, an MP tried to wake me up and that I took a swing at him. Again, I, I don't, honestly don't remember any of that, but uh, from there, I'm not sure what happened, but somehow the, the officer in charge uh, that night got involved and he was actually a recovering alcoholic himself. And he helped uh, them give me a second chance. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't remember how many hours I got, but I remember going through some counseling, some group counseling there at school, and I got labeled an abusive drinker. And at that time, to a 21-year-old mind, that kind of set a challenge for me to to not, um, you know, to not go over the, the two or three beer buzz to try to keep that. And so that was a challenge for me for many years um, to not, to try to control it, you know, to try to control my drinking. Um, in the long run, looking back at the opposite happened, you know, it, it controlled me for a few, quite a few years, but yeah, that's, uh, that's looking back on that. Can I just say one second here about how yeah. grateful I am for your bravery of talking about this? You know, I mean, like, like this is not, I'm sure it's not easy to talk about, and I think that there may be, um, you know, we appreciate your your vulnerability in talking about that. There was a few, I mean, for a while, Jamie, I, I probably wouldn't have talked to people about it, but I know having been through it, I know hearing other people's stories can help. So if this can help anybody, then then that's why we're doing it. That's why I'm doing it. Great. Thank you. So then it was several more years before you began to face into this as something that you need to take action on, right? Yeah. Um, actually, the second job after the Army, um, this one kind of fell out of the sky. I wasn't totally happy in the construction management because it ended up being, I was, I was on the road as almost as much as I was in the Army and, and trying to raise a young family then. I uh, was kind of putting a lot of stress on our, on our relationship at home. Um, this job in my hometown, which was where we live in Bath, Maine, um, I actually got on with this community bank right there. Um, didn't have much background in banking, but uh, this job kind of fell out of the sky because I, because um, of relation, prior relationship with the, the bank president. Um, so I got hired into that. And at the time, it seemed like a dream job that they were kind of, excuse me, they're kind of grooming me to be a uh, future president of the bank. So primarily I was in charge of uh, 
maintaining a lot of their IT relationships. Um, but more than that, it was, it was, there were a bunch of guys there. Well, not a bunch, a couple of guys there that, that liked to drink like me. Um, so that was a big part of uh, life there at the bank was um, drinking. Were you drinking like during the day, like you go to lunch and get hammered? That was no, no, not not necessarily. That did happen on a few occasions, but uh, typically mm, we we maintained our own ATMs. So in within the the we weren't of that big a bank, but uh, so we would have to go out and fill our ATMs usually on a Thursday or Friday afternoon. But that would involve oh a twelve or twelve pack or something. That was part of the, the routine, and it usually the day usually ended at the bar down the street um, for a couple. But I, I didn't I didn't do most of my drinking with them. I probably did most of mine on the on my own because I was trying to control this. You know, again I was labeled as an abusive drinker, so the people that I worked with they would see me drink some, but. Um, they didn't see me do my worst. You know, my worst of my drinking was done at home by myself. Um, so, you know, that had the most impact on on the people I cared most about, my family and kids, my wife and kids. So, um, yeah. Uh, you know, again, we thought that was a dream job. On the surface, you know, we built our own, we built a great house during that time, but, you know, I remember stamping my feet in that house and saying, I'm, we're never moving from this place. Um, one, it, it was a great big, you know, a big house for, for raising boys. And we had, it was kind of in the woods, but I also saw it as a place to isolate and, and get away from people, which there was a time there where, you know, just relationships with people weren't that important to me anymore because you know, looking back on it, alcohol was really the driving force in my life. And it became, to be honest, it became the most important thing for a while there. You know, um, while all this is going on, you know, at the same time, my wife, again, who had been struggling since her dad died, you know, she'd been trying to find her purpose in life. And she's raising, at this point, two boys with me. But uh, She's also on her on her own faith faith journey, um, and she kind of chose to do that on her own because she realized the importance of it after her dad died. And so she's 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 raising our boys, and they're kind of going on their own faith journey, and and I'm I'm holding out doing my own thing um, again. But we you know we had this great house we built, thinking that would solve some of our problems, and had the great cars, and it looked like a great job, and, but. I was just miserable and our, mar our marriage was falling apart. And um, here we are. So what was the, what brought it to a head? What was the, what was the precipitating event or how did you get like, like what shook you to the point where you said, I need to get help? You know, you know, Carla had for over, you know, several times over the years, she said things and uh, you know, I may have made a, a feeble attempt that would last a day or a couple of days. Um, and then there was this 
one day in 2006 that my younger brother actually um, visited my office and I, I remember his question very vividly. It wasn't really a, well, it was a simple question. You know, he was asking me if, if I was putting anything in front of my family. Um, he, he just noticed that our relationship seemed strained and that was his question. And how much younger is he than you? Two and a half years. So he's like a peer, basically. I mean, yeah. it's not like he... we weren't. I wouldn't say we were that tight, but for him to to come to my office, you know, it, it really, I, I realized that took balls. And uh, when when he pointed that out, again, I I knew he knew the answer, but the, you know, kind of let the cat out of the bag that other people had really started noticing that I had something going on. I had an issue and, you know, I thought I was covered and had it all covered up. Um, so that was, that was, uh, 15 days ago tomorrow. Wow. 15 years ago tomorrow. 15 years ago, 15 years ago. So, so you have the date in your mind, uh, April 26th. One one day at a time. Yeah. One day at a time. And so you, you did see one day at a time is a, like a idiot or, you know, it's part of the, the Alcoholics Anonymous, like, I don't know what the word is, like a slogan or something, one day at a time. And there's a bunch of these different things. Yeah. I grew up around this stuff. I've mentioned before, I mean, my family members, I've got several family members that have struggled with, with alcohol. And I grew up going to like Al-Anon meetings and Alateen meetings when I was a kid. So I know this, I know the lingo. And so, um, so, so you did seek some help through professional help, right? I did. I actually asked my, you know, my primary physician for help. Um, I can't remember that was probably a week or so after that. Um, she recommended some, some group counseling. It was actually the same type of counseling that I think people go to when they court mandated, when they go through a DUI. So I'm in this this group counseling with a dozen people. Uh, I think it was a 12-week session. M- most of them were there because the court was telling them to, so they didn't really put much effort forth. But I, I, I honestly wanted to be there. I wanted to try to figure out how to be well. And I, I still remember to this day, there was a little poster inside this, this little counseling conference room. And it had 40 or 50 pictures of facial expressions and it was called i don't know the 40 emotions human emotions you know one guy was sad and another was happy and and i just remember at that time the only the only facial expression that i felt like i could um, relate to was anger you know that was that was everything in that at that point in life just i don't know what i was so angry about i mean i was still hanging on to things that happened long ago you know I, I hadn't dealt with those things um you know just little things could could ruin my day um but that's that's part of this you know trying to take the time to figure out how you make decisions and how tracy's class that we just went through kind of really succinctly tied all that together um Anyway, I'm, I'm getting off track here, but no, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's very much on track. 
uh, connecting your your thoughts, your emotions to your actions, right? Which is her whole thing, like the exterior model, right? And so we just did eight weeks of this. So it's almost like second nature to us, like talking about like how it is that you connect your activities to your goals and to well-beingness basically, right? So we had, I don't know, we had like, I, don't, I think we had 20 people, 20 of our classmates do that, at least 20. Yeah, um, which that was, was good. Yeah. So you um, had an example too. Your father was also, is also a recovering alcoholic as well, right? He's, yeah, fortunately he's about six years ahead of me. I think he just went over 20 years. So he was actually newly sober then, not 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 that far along. I mean, well, six years ahead of you, but what was that like? Like, did you go, go to him and say, Dad, like, how'd you do it? Or, Dad, I need help? Or, like, well, to be it? honest with you, Jamie, I I remember seeing how bad he got, at, you know, near his, his end, uh, his bottom, I guess. And I kind of used that as a measuring stick for, for myself. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not as bad as him yet, so I don't have a problem. Mm. That, and, but I was, you know, mm -hmm. but yes, having, having seen him do that, that was definitely uh, help that helped me for sure. Mm. Yep. So 15 years of uh, sobriety, that is amazing. What, a, what an accomplishment and what uh, thank you for talking to us about that and, you know, being vulnerable and, and, the challenges you you were saying before, like it's not just you, but it's your everyone around you, your wife, your kids. Oh, they're definitely a big part of it. Again, I mentioned that my wife and kids are, you know, they were on their own faith journey and I was seeing that and, you know, started questioning my own values. Um, I had kind of walked away from the church that I knew uh, when I was 18, 19, because, you know, we didn't have to go when we're at school. Um, but actually during that, during that time, again, I'd, I'd given up drinking April 26, 20, 2006. And, and the freedom from realizing that I didn't have to drink because, it, you know, near the end, I, I really felt like I had to do that every day to survive. That's how crazy that those drugs are. But anyway, and in, in our minds, um, the freedom of realizing that I didn't have to do that. That was very freeing. Um, but also um, a month or two into that, I, I actually found a book that uh, was given to us on our day. You know, this one here, and it has my name actually implant and imprinted already in it. I actually read that, started reading that because I, I thought I knew it was in there before. That's the for a lot of people be listening to this, that is the Bible that we got when we were when we were plebes, right? Oh, that's exactly. the Bible. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I uh, held up. You know, I I used to think that I knew it was in there, but I had never read it. So at some uh, maybe a month or two into my sobriety, I actually started reading that. And I think I took almost a year to do that. And in there, I found um, um, one of my mentors puts it succinctly as I found um, the story of a um the redemption of man um and in it i also found the, the story of the redemption of mankind and in it i also found the story of redemption 
of this man. So I, uh, I am transformed since from what I was before. So I couldn't have done it without that. That's awesome. So here you are 15 years later yeah. and you, you've, you've, um, two, two wonderful boys, uh, a re a reconstituted strong marriage. And what an example for all of us. I mean, thank you so much for talking to us about that and, and, um, and helping us to understand your journey. I'm glad I had the chance to do it, Amy. Thanks for giving me the time. Um, so this, this, podcast it goes by so quickly we're not over we're not done but i want to start like bringing us to a finish and we talked about the here and now your business we went back to pre-west point we talked about west point the army we're back up closer to present day um i wonder what other thoughts you have to share with our classmates about what's next for you the future for us and um you know what what are your reflections in terms of this experience that we've all been through this shared journey from West Point to present day? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the first part of, of asking for help, that was the hardest part. You know, actually raising your hands in the surrender mode. That's, that's certainly not something we, we learn at the school we went to. Could you imagine, uh, you know, what, Colonel Turner teaching a class on how to surrender? No, I don't think so. We didn't learn that, um, but but that's that's how you have to do it. it um, you know, if I can give anybody hope that that might be struggling, uh, hopefully you've done that tonight. You know, I read a quote the other day: "When we persevere through our struggles, especially together, we build character and hope, and find hope." Um, so if we can do that, that's that's what this is all about. You know, I hear lots of people, even even people that I'm close to, just say, you know, when they think they're they're old, you know, can't teach a new dog, an old dog, new tricks, or they just say, you know, it's how I'm wired. I, I don't believe that. You know, we can change if we want to, if we want to be well. That's a great uh, great note to uh, to kind of finish on. Which is that? Yeah, you know, I mean, we're we're nobody's nobody's hardwired for anything forever, right? We and we have miles to go before we sleep, as uh, Robert Frost said. Miles nice. to go yep. before we sleep. We've got uh, we're 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 barely at the halfway point, and uh, so that's the thing. I mean, I love what um, Bernard Seeger said was that if there's someone, you know, notice how young we are. We've got so much going on. Like so many of us are going through these big life transitions people that are transitioning out of the army, transitioning to becoming empty nesters, uh, transitioning into additional careers. And we got so much going on, so much, Mm -hmm. so much future ahead of us. And um, in terms of the immediate future, let me just talk one small admin note, our reunion. Um, We're still trying to decide what we're gonna do. And there's a email that went out from Scott Clemens into the class, looking to um, get a poll to poll people to find out if we, if we were to relocate the reunion to Texas in November, would that be preferable to doing it in September in New York? Because we're not quite sure if New York is going to be able to host crowds of over 250 people. And we certainly expect 
to have crowds bigger than 250. So trying to decide that. So if you haven't responded, if you haven't responded to that email, please respond to it. So our class leaders can try to make the best informed uh, collective decision for the best interest of our class. Um, Tim, thank you so much for being on this with us tonight. You were phenomenal. You are like a warrior and uh, we're so grateful for you sharing your struggles with us. And so thanks so much for, for joining us tonight. Why don't you stick around, let the credits roll out and we'll uh, debrief, but thank you everybody that joined us on Facebook. You can get us on podcast on Podbean or any place that you listen to podcasts. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Edition of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Please check back on this Facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Cool, we're done. Great job, man. You are fucking phenomenal. I'm sorry about, there's like this little bit of like this, this, um, uh, what you call it? like there's a little bit of uh, like this interference that we hear on the I, I was hearing it. I don't know if you were hearing it. There's a little I bit of like this. Inter- no. no, unfortunately, I think it may be in the um, it might have rolled through into the recording too, but we'll see. Maybe it didn't. That'd be great okay. if it didn't. Well, thanks, Jamie. That was awesome. I appreciate you that you do this. Um, well, you were great, man. You were great, and and uh, there's a great message in there for so much for all of us you know, face into uh, challenges and, and overcome. So there's already one section I thought I'm going to have to bleep out. I think I may have to bleep out the section where I was talking about my son with his girlfriend. I may have to, I may have to shorten that piece. I may have to try to edit that. If you listen on Podbean or something, I hope you don't mind if I like cut that out. I think somebody might give me some shit for that. So anybody can listen to it on Podbean? Anybody can listen on Podbean. Anybody. Oh, okay. You can uh, find it. I see. I didn't realize. Okay. So I can get that to my son that way. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he can listen. Uh, okay. Yeah. okay. I thought it was only... No, that's cool. Very good. Well, only our classmates can listen on Facebook. Right. And I get anybody... It like, you have to find it. Like, you have to be looking for it. So you have to look on, like, Stitcher or something, type in old grad podcast. Or, like, what is, oh, what is this thing about? Like, who's going to listen to that, really, other than our, our classmates? But I do... I do get stats on it. We have, I don't know, every, every single time we post, there's, you know, tens or dozens of downloads of each one. Really? And I can see where, where they're being downloaded. And I know like DA Sims and he mentioned to me, he goes, I listened to this thing, you know, general DA Sims. He goes, I love this thing. Thank you for doing it. I don't listen on Facebook, but I'll see hits. Like I see ge- like geographically where the hits are. So I see hits in Afghanistan. I see hits in, really? in like Syria hits in Africa. Those are people listening. Those are classmates nice. listening. Yeah. He was, DA was E1? E1. E1, yeah. With Halstead, right? Yeah. Shit, you know what? We didn't talk about Carl Avery. Fuck. Oh, uh, yeah. Didn't, no, I didn't bring that up. That's all right. I'll, I'll bring him up on another podcast. Did you ever... Uh, I mean, he yeah, he got bad at the end. He was trying to write notes on Facebook. Yeah, I remember he'd, seeing that. He'd have he'd just had like brain surgeries, and that was hard to watch. I've I've tried to 
keep his wife. Um, I mean, I've just things that I donate if I get a chance to, I'll, I'll do it in his honor. And she gets mm-hmm. notified of things like that. Yeah, he I, he was. Um, I'm gonna stop this recording here because I don't want. Oh, I'm gonna stop my recording.
Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Please check back on this Facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast.